Father, we pray now as we come to your word. Father, we come to your word now because we, we want to hear you speak to us. We, we know we need your, your leading and, and your guiding in our life. Father, we know that apart from you, would, we would just be lost and, and wandering through life. And so, Father, we pray now that you would speak and that you'd speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us this morning. And, and all of the things going on in our hearts and minds this morning that, that could easily distract us, the, the food that's in the oven and the things we need to get done, Father, may you just push those to the side for now so we could he- hear you speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us. And then help work in our hearts and minds to receive what you have to say. So, Father, we come to you now and we ask that you'd open our ears to hear our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, on this Easter morning, we're coming to the end of a series that we've been working on through Lent, a series through the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you want to, if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Malachi, you can grab Bibles in front of you, otherwise the passage will also be on the screen. Uh, Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubborn. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. There's this uh, feeling that we all start to get around this time of the year in the Midwest. It's a feeling that has everyone feeling a little crazy. Uh, it's a feeling that has people thinking of leaving and going to Texas <laughs> or Florida. It has people wondering why they ever moved to this portion of the world in this part of the season. It has a, this feeling where it kind of has us longing for something better, something beautiful, something warmer. Uh, we call it cabin fever. We call it sometimes the winter blues, and it's the reason why so many people just feel the need to get out of here for a little bit, and feel a little glimpse of the sunshine, a little glimpse of the warmth, be able to wear a t-shirt and shorts for a little bit, because after all of the short, cold, dark days of winter, we're kind of worn out and tired, and we need some sunshine, and we need to feel the warmth of the sun on our skin. And I was thinking of that and thinking of this really great line that, that came from the Chronicles of Narnia. 
where C.S. Lewis, I think only Midwesterners can truly understand this statement. C.S. Lewis describes the, the reign of the white witch as being always winter, never Christmas. Um, and that's March <laughs> in the Midwest. Uh, it feels like always winter, never Christmas, right? Because when, win- when we get snow and cold in December... There's kind of a charm to it. It's like, oh, this is beautiful, and Christmas is coming. We're going to have a, a white Christmas. But then, once Christmas is over, the beauty and the charm of winter fades fairly quickly. And by the time you get to March, snow is not a good thing. And, and it starts to feel like it's always winter, and it's never Christmas. We don't even have Christmas to look forward to. It's just winter, and you get your hopes lifted up a little bit by some 50-degree days, and then you get 10 inches of snow. Um, Always winter, never Christmas. And, you know, the the passage that I read this morning, it has a lot of different imagery going on in it, but one of the really beautiful images that that picture gives us is this image of the sun beginning to rise on a cold and dark land. Um, And it's really an image of of Easter. The sun rising uh, on a land that feels like it's always winter, but, but never Christmas. The sun rising on a land that feels dark and cold and a little hopeless. And the sun begins to rise on that land, and it begins to, the sun shines, and it begins to thaw. The snow begins to melt. Things begin to green up, and life begins to spring forth. And it brings healing and peace and joy. It's It's a description of Easter. It's why we celebrate Easter this time of year. Because we're at this point where it feels like it's always Christmas, but never, or always winter, but never Christmas. And yet there's signs of life beginning to break through that kind of longing feeling. We can look out and we can see the grass is kind of green. (laughs) It's getting there. The trees eventually are going to start budding. The flowers are going to begin to start blooming. And, and this week we have warmer temperatures coming up. I hear we might hit 70. We'll be out in the sun. You'll feel the sun beating down on you and even your own soul will really begin to come back to life in a different way. Because it's something we've been longing for for a really long time. It's why we celebrate Easter now. And yet, the passage we read this morning, the one that we're looking at, has Another image that's not as beautiful, it's an image that uh, makes us uncomfortable, it makes us uneasy, we don't really like it, uh, which is why we don't talk about it very much. And it's this, this image here, it says, behold, the, the day is coming, it's burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. A day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. And that's a sobering picture. It's, it's a hard one to even kind of fathom in our minds. And so we, we just don't talk about it. We kind of try to ignore it, try to pretend like it's not a thing. And yet we're told that this day is coming when arrogant and evildoers will be like stubble or will be like a dead pine tree in the fire and they'll be burned up. And the day is coming when, when the Lord God Almighty will come in judgment on the earth, and he'll bring every evil thought and every evil deed, and he'll bring that into judgment. It's not an enticing picture. We don't like it, and so we kind of ignore it. 
Um, but what's powerful about the way that this is written, it's, it's written to kind of show God's people that this day isn't a day that's far off. Um, it's a day that's coming, and it's coming soon. And it's actually written in such a way to say that the day is here now. And it's coming more and more into its fullness. Um, and it's written that way to kind of push back against some of our natural tendencies, which is procrastination, right? Our natural tendency is to think, well, that test as a high schooler, that test is a long ways away. I don't have to do anything. I'll just forget about it. I don't have to deal with that. And then all of a sudden the test is upon you and you go, I didn't study. Or taxes are upon you and you go, I haven't done enough for that. And this is written, say, no, this day is not far off. You, you can't just think, well, that's a long ways away. I can forget about it. I can ignore, about, ignore it. I don't have to think about it. It's saying, no, it's actually here, right now. And it's coming more and more and more. Um, it's here right now because there are significant consequences to our own sin and rebellion. God's not just sitting off, kind of closing his eyes, forgetting everything that's going on in the world as people kind of ignore him and, and reject him and spit in his face. It's, it, there's consequences for that now. And those consequences are coming more and more and more and will finally and fully come on a day. And so it's written to kind of press it upon us so that we're all asking ourselves, what are we doing to kind of prepare for or to respond for that day that's coming. You know, and I think, it's, I think it's important to kind of clarify, to talk about what does the passage mean when it talks about the arrogant or the evildoers? Because I would guess most of us don't naturally put ourselves in that category. Uh, I guess I've known a few people who would say like, yeah, I'm arrogant, I'm okay with that. <laughs> but most of us, when we think of the arrogant and the evildoers, we go, well, that's not me. That's somebody else out there. That guy's arrogant, but I'm not arrogant. And that person's really bad, but I'm not that bad. Because we all tend to kind of think that we're just basically naturally good. And yet, the question is, good in relation to what? Or evil in relation to what? Often we're just measuring ourselves with people around us. We kind of look around a room and we think, yeah, I'm kind of right there with everybody else, or maybe I'm a little better, and I'm pretty good. And yet, the, scripturally, and in this passage, it's ta- when it's talking about the evildoer, it's talking about in relation to the perfect God. And, and if you were to stand and kind of compare yourself to the God of the universe, could you stand in front of him and say, I'm good? The answer is, no. And, and when it talks about the arrogant, it's not talking about like the jock captain of the football team that struts his stuff. It, it's talking about people who think that they're smarter than God. Uh, it's talking about people who, who hear what God says and how God tells, says, here's how I created you to live. Here's how I created you to kind of live in the world. And, and they go, I think I know better than you. <laughs> Um, I'll just kind of do what I want to do because I, I know better than you on how I should live my life. And that's, well, that's arrogant, isn't it? To talk to the God of the universe that way. And so the passage is talking about 
all of us, including me. And, and what the passage is painting the picture of is that that life, the life of an arrogant evildoer, is a life that feels like it's always winter and never Christmas. It's a life that leaves you longing. It's, a, it's that cabin fever, winter blues kind of a feeling that kind of hangs on your life. It's, it's actually not the good, beautiful life to just go and do whatever you want to do out there. It actually doesn't leave you fulfilled. It actually leaves you with that sense of longing, that there's something else out there and I just can't get there. I just can't grasp it. I maybe get little glimpses, but I just can't quite get there and we're longing for it. Always waiting for spring to come and just getting snow over and over. Worn out, beat down from cold, dark days. It's, it's a life that's stuck on Good Friday and never gets to Easter. That, that dark, hopeless feeling. And yet, the passage gives us a, a, another picture, right, of a different group of people. Not, not a group of people who are arrogantly kind of ignoring God and doing their own thing, but talking about a group of people who, who fear God and, and who fear God rightly. They, they see God and they see His beauty and His power and His majesty and His glory, and they say, that's who I want to follow. That's who I want to give my life to. to. That's who I want to worship. That's who I'm in awe of. And, and when that happens, then that kind of wintry feeling of your life begins to fade and spring begins to come into your life. He says this. It says, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you'll go out leaping like calves from the storm. I don't know how many of you have grown up on a farm, but if you've seen calves in the spring, they're jumping and dancing around, making fools out of themselves. And it says, that's what will happen in your soul when you fear God rightly. Right? It's, a, it's a picture of spring, not just with calves jumping and leaping from the stalls, but you're going to see this this week in Wisconsin as we hit 60 and 70 degrees. People are going to be out frolicking on the roads and the streets like calves from the stalls. They're going to be in shorts and sleeveless shirts, and they're going to be running and biking and walking. And, and it's like life has kind of come back into our region. It's a sign of Easter, right? Life has come. Um, but passage isn't just talking about the sun, it's talking about the son of righteousness. It's talking about Jesus Christ. It's talking about a deeper healing than just the healing you feel when you step outside and you feel the sun on you. There's a, there's a healing with that, sure, but, but talking about a healing that goes deeper down into your heart and into your soul. And it's a healing that comes when Jesus Christ rises on your life and his sun shines on you and he begins to bring life to a soul that is worn out and weary. He begins to bring healing when you're longing for something more. He begins to bring this spring into a life that feels like it's always winter but never Christmas. And it says when he comes, he brings healing on his wings and peace and joy. But you don't get that life by just doing better, 
or trying to earn it. Uh, There's this natural tendency to see that and say, I want that, and and I'm not there, so what I need to do is I'm just going to be a better person. I'm going to go to church more often. I'm going to do nice things for other people. I'm going to, maybe I'll give more money to church, and then that'll get me on God's good side. Um, And that's not it. We can't get there on, on our own. Every one of us is in that place of the arrogant evildoer. And that means that all of us are in that place where we deserve that judgment of God to come upon us. Everyone, including me. We deserve to, to get that. And the only way out of that is for someone else to bear that judgment for us. And that's what Jesus did on Good Friday. As he bore the wrath and the judgment of God, he was burned up like chaff like a dead pine tree, so that all who look to him by faith and all who trust in him alone would not have to bear that judgment themselves. That's why he endured the pain. That's why he endured the suffering. That's why he bore the judgment. And he did all of that even though Jesus was not an arrogant evildoer. The only human that has ever lived that was not an arrogant evildoer. He did it so that we could be saved from that judgment when we look to him in faith and when we trust in him alone for salvation. And, and that's the only way. That's the only way to get out of that judgment day that's here and coming more. The only way is to trust in the one who bore the judgment for you. It's the only way to be set free from a life that feels like it's always winter and never Christmas. The only way is to look to Jesus Christ by faith. And when you do that, when you trust in one who bore the judgment for you and the one who triumphed over sin and death in his resurrection, then, when you trust in him in that way, then you begin to experience spring in your life, in your heart, in your soul. You begin to experience that life and joy and peace and healing. Um, That's when that longing that you feel deep down in your soul begins to be healed and satisfied. Um, and what comes with that is when, when you put your hope and your faith and your trust in the one who, who bore that judgment for you, you no longer have to live in fear of that day that's coming. I think many people live in fear of that day even though they don't want to admit it. They think, well, it's coming. I don't have to worry about it now. Uh, but deep down inside, there's this fear and trembling. But when you know that someone has already bore that judgment for you, there's no fear. There's no worry about the judgment that comes in this life or even the judgment that's coming in the future because you know someone took it for you. Christ died for us. He was placed in a tomb for us and he rose again from the dead for us. And when he rose from the dead, he brought life and healing and peace and salvation with him out of the grave. And so instead of living in fear of that judgment day and being afraid to even talk about it, we can actually long for that day and look forward to that day because we know that on that day we'll finally get everything we've ever longed for. That that day will be more like an endless summer than the winteriness that we've felt in this life. But some will fear that day because they'll refuse to, to fear God. Um, that's kind of the, 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 the way this passage is written is a reminder for us that you will fear something. 
Um, what will you fear? Do you want to fear judgment or do you want to fear a loving, caring, and merciful God? And, and to refuse to, to, to fear God and just to kind of go on doing whatever you want to do and just doing your own thing and doing that arrogantly, um, if you do that, you will always live in fear of that judgment that's to come. It will always hang there over your head. You'll, you'll try to push it away. You'll try to ignore it. You'll try to pretend like it's not there, but it will be there, and it will continue to press upon you further every day. Um, and so you'll end up living in fear. But you don't have to do that. You don't have to live in fear that way. Um, the problem, the answer is not to just feel more guilty about it or live in fear. The answer is to turn your heart. Um, that's one of this, this passage speaks of a prophet whom God is going to send. He's going to bring this message to the people. He says, He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This, this prophet's going to come. We know this was John the Baptist, and he preached a message of repentance. He says, Repent, for the kingdom of God's at hand. Turn. Turn from your sin. Turn back to Jesus. But, but notice the, the, the language in the middle of this. It talks about hearts being turned, not just actions. Um, that's, that's really what needs to happen. It, it's not just an actions thing that needs to change. It's a heart thing that needs to change. Jesus, Faith in Jesus brings about a change of our heart so that now we love and long to do the things that he's called us to do. And again, I emphasize that because we have this tendency to think, well, the thing we need to fix is our actions. The thing that we need to fix is just what we do. And so we go out there and try to do the better things. And we just try to do the things we're supposed to do. And I'm saying that's actually not what any of this is about. It's not about just doing the things we're supposed to do. It's about loving the things we're supposed to do. It's about a heart that's been changed so that you actually trust God. You actually love God. God never calls us to pretend. He doesn't say, well, pretend like you love me and then just do those things. And he never says, pretend like you trust me and then just do those things. He says, I want you to actually love me. And I want you to actually trust me. And then I want you to live according to that love and that trust. And, and what you're going to realize is, quickly, that that's a really hard thing to do. Because how do you change your heart? The answer is simple and difficult. The answer is you can't change your heart. God's the only one who can change hearts. And so the, the answer for us is, if, like if you're here this morning and, and, and you're feeling kind of this, this call or this tug, that, that, that the longing that you've been feeling for a long time, you, you need that to be satisfied. You, if you have that feeling that your life has been kind of always winter, never Christmas, the answer isn't to just go out trying to live a better life. The answer is to get on your knees and pray to God. And ask him to do that work in your life. Ask him to change your heart. Get on your knees and come to God and acknowledge that you've failed, 
that you've messed up. Acknowledge that you haven't loved him or you haven't trusted him like you should have. Acknowledge that you want your heart changed, but you recognize that you can't change your heart yourself. And then ask God to change your heart. And ask God to help you love him. Ask God to help you serve him. Ask God to help you follow him and worship him and praise him for the rest of your life. And and I can tell you this. That is a prayer that God will answer every single time without fail when you do that. And the beautiful thing is that that's a, that is the prayer of the Christian life. It's a prayer that you pray at the beginning when you first become a Christian, but that's a prayer that you'll be praying 50 years down the road. Lord, continue to help me love you more. Continue to help me trust you more. Continue to help me follow you and praise you more. And when you do that, and you pray that prayer honestly and sincerely, spring comes on your life. Little by little by little by little. The the healing comes and joy and peace comes and that wintry life that you felt begins to thaw and spring begins to break free and the grass begins to get green and trees begin to bud and flowers begin to bloom in your life, in your heart, and it changes everything. It breaks that wintry feeling in your life and it changes it and kind of slowly brings you into this process where heaven could be described as an endless summer. We get to taste that in this life, but that's what we'll enjoy for the rest of eternity. Let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your faithfulness and your grace and your mercy in our lives. Father, we're thankful that you have always been our God and you've called us to be your people and you've been faithful. We thank you that you've walked alongside us in, in our sin and our rebellion and our messed up lives and our arrogance and our evil doing. Lord, you have walked with us, have not thrown us aside, but, but even more than just walking with us, Father, we're thankful that you sent Jesus to heal our hearts, to bring about a solution, to bear the judgment for us so we don't have to fear it. And so, Father, we come to you, we confess that we often just kind of go through life not thinking about that. We go through life not, not really caring about what you've done. We go through life just kind of doing whatever we want to do, not checking with you. And so, Father, we, we come to you and we admit that every one of us has been an arrogant evildoer in our own way. And, Father, we don't want to be that way anymore. We, we want you to change our hearts. So we confess that to you. We ask forgiveness from you. But Father, we also ask that your spirit would move and change our hearts. Stir our hearts so that we love you more, so that we trust you more, so we have more faith and so that we go out from here worshiping and praising you and bringing glory and honor to you and wherever, whatever we're doing, whatever we do in our life as we spend time with family and as we go to work, Father, may we bring glory and honor to you. So we ask you to do that in our hearts. Father, we ask that you would break that wintry feeling in our souls, that longing, hopeless, lifeless feeling in our souls, and begin to bring hope and peace and joy. And Father, hold on to us and strengthen us and bring us in uh, to that endless summer you have waiting for us in eternity. 
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.